Screenless. Welcome to another episode of Creative Cuppa, the show where I chat to people working in the many brilliant creative industries. I'm Gareth Davis, composer, podcaster. I could throw writer in there, however creativity shows itself, really. How's your week going? Doing anything creative? Come and share your stories on the social media using at ScreenlessPod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. I'd love to learn about your creative ways. Speaking of which, have you ever thought about the science of creativity? How being in nature, or not, might affect your work? Enter the whirlwind of knowledge and creativity that is architect Donald M. Ratner. Strap in and keep up, because Donald has a lot to say, and it all makes sense. I'm sure, like me, you'll be waking up in a few days thinking, oh yeah. Do you have a cup of ready then? Here we go. Donald M. Ratner, creativity architect, author, and educator. Welcome to Creative Cuppa. Hey, thanks for having me, Gareth. Glad to be here. You're very welcome. And you join me from all the way over in New York? Yeah, just actually north of the city. Moved up uh, after living in New York City for more decades than I wish to count. Um, (laughs) But it's just a 50-minute train ride down the line, so we're very close to it. But now I get to enjoy things like nature growth, Uh, animal, bird life, all that kind of good stuff that uh, comes with this kind of location. I had a whole prepared thing, but uh, just from you saying that, how does that affect your creativity? Ah, well... Just being around nature. Yes, that is um, a big part of uh, what I write about in my book, uh, My Creative Space. So there is something in my field, architecture, called biophilic design, So the term biophilia means kind of love of nature, love of natural things. And the idea behind it is that, you know, let's think about this. We humans evolved over, what, four or five million years, 99.999, you can keep going with the nines, percent of which we were (laughs) in what? A purely natural environment, right? We're running around the African savannah or wherever in the world we had migrated to. There were no mediating influences, right? It's just us purely in nature. So What do you think is going to happen? Our whole genetic profile is going to be oriented towards an existence in a purely natural environment. Now, in the last like blink of an eye, we've gone almost 180 degrees in the opposite direction to where we now spend upwards of 90% of our time indoors, where nature is, generally speaking, in much less supply. So what happens is like when you take a fish out of water, we're suddenly deprived of a certain uh, call it mental nutrient uh, in terms of inputs yeah. which are coming into our consciousness that are nature-based. So we don't see greenery or uh, the natural wildlife or natural light even. It's kind of reflected instead of direct. And as a result, our just mental and physical well-being tend to diminish somewhat. And they've linked yeah. some very serious, you know, even cancers, but sleeplessness, anxiety, irritation, all of these things to a lack of nature-based inputs. Well, Guess what? Also, creativity 
and health and to a large degree happiness are all kind of operating on the same spectrum in terms of their relationship vis-a-vis the environment. So any kind of uh, environmental cues that tend to boost the one tend to boost the other two, and unfortunately vice versa, the lack thereof tend to diminish. So our creativity tends to actually lessen as a result. And all of this is science-based. They've, they've done studies where, say, in an office environment, they would have two <laughs> groups of people, and one group of people had some desk plants around the office, and the other group had none. And then they measured work product and evaluated kind of the creativity creative effectiveness of their performance. And they actually found the people who had desk plants within their vicinity scored higher on these kind of creative problem-solving exercises than those that didn't. So this is real stuff. So luckily for you and me, I guess, we do have a fair <laughs> bit of nature. And, you know, look, we can design our environments to kind of up the quotient, right, to get the most out of our surroundings. So if you have openings, obviously, to a natural landscape around you, that's great. But if you don't, if you live in an urban environment, like I did for many years in New York City, putting that plant on the desk can make all the difference. The slightest change in our environment can really have an impact on how we think, feel and act. As a creative person working in creative industry, I tend to go for walks like many people do to clear their head and uh, walk the dog as well. Uh, One of my favourite walks, though, is in a forest area. So these lovely tall trees and I don't know what it is I don't know if it's because the trees are creating this oxygen and it's in a large supply in a dense area but I physically feel better very quickly Uh, absolutely just from that fresh air it's amazing absolutely let's see according to your website Donald you spent 25 years in traditional practice before developing an expertise in creative space what does that mean in real terms and why is designing creative spaces particularly important to you? Well, obviously, it's important to me because of the nature of my profession. But I think more broadly, um, the term creativity now has been broadened in the last X number of years, X decades, in fact, to where it's not just a traditionally associated with the arts, uh, architecture, music, uh, theater, what have you. It's actually been broadened to encompass pretty much any undertaking, big or small, for which novel and useful, those are the kind of two key criteria, ideas can be developed. So we could be talking about a marketing campaign. We could be talking about a business plan just as much as we could be talking about a piece of architecture or music or sound or what have you. So to me, this is now very important because clearly in uh, kind of what we call post-industrial economies such as ours and in our respective countries, um, creativity and innovation are really what's going to drive the kind of economy economy forward, but also on a personal level, it makes us happier and healthier um, as a result. So there's a lot to be gained for it. But what I wanted to do was to kind of show how you can shape your space using science, using actual uh, experimental findings that link very particular elements in our space to improved creativity and bring it all together in one place and share it with folks who aren't necessarily architects and designers and myself and hopefully, you know, make their lives and the world maybe a little bit better. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, You did an art history degree at Columbia and a Master's of Architecture from Princeton. What was it like? 
being in those places. How have those things informed your own creativity? Yeah, interesting. So Colombia was a that was my undergrad was a real eye opening experience for me because <laughs> um, they have something called a core curriculum, right? Which has gone back to the, goes back to the early twentieth century, where they just say you're going to take the following courses to kind of build your 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 mental apparatus, so to speak, um, and it covers a whole range of subjects from the sciences to the arts and everything in between. And for me, that was a real eye-opener and just kind of broadened my sense of what the world could be about. Uh, Whereas, you know, in high school, certainly you have some sense, but not quite to the same degree. And then, of course, in architecture school, I was able to start developing my own creativity in terms of the profession that I ultimately went into. And you set up your award-winning firm in 2002. What prompted that move then? And was setting up a business what you expected? Um, Yeah, to some degree it was only because I had um, some experience running or helping to run a firm where I was previously employed. So going out, I got to do, uh, obviously, more of what I wanted to do and and be more able to kind of steer um, the practice where I wanted, including as it kind of evolved later, and this is, you know, picking up in the last few years where I got very interested specifically in this subject of the intersection of creativity and physical space. And this allowed me to kind of pursue those interests in the way that, you know, was most effective. So so what does a typical day look like for you? Uh, well, days? these days I'm doing a lot of writing, uh, more than architecture. <laughs> um, so uh, typically, and this is an interesting thing that I discovered in the course of my researches for the for the book, we are generally one of several different chronotypes, as they're called, right? So some people are night owls, some people are morning larks. There's actually (laughs) two more designations that have been developed. People, I guess, in the early afternoon peak and then the late afternoon peak. Well, I tend to be a morning kind of nine to one person. So that's when I'll do my most, quote, creative work, which is these days has been writing, whereas then I leave the more administrative stuff towards the post-lunch period where we tend to, or at least people in my chronotype, tend to start flagging. Uh, we yeah. also tend to actually... And drink tea. Yeah, biscuits. there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Cup of tea. <laughs> exactly. That's that's one of the reasons why it happens when it happens. Um, <laughs> and also, interestingly, going back to that kind of a first question, we're actually tied into nature in terms of the solar trajectory, right? Think about the color of the sun as it rises, right? It starts off kind of warm in the morning, but it pretty quickly turns into this sort of bluish cast and it kind of peaks around noon, one o'clock. And then it starts getting a little more neutral, a little whiter until it starts going back into that amber tone. Well, those colors actually trigger a whole bunch of hormonal responses in our brains, which is what's telling us, hey, it's late at night. It's time to start nodding off and putting things away. But our brains also shift from a more creative mindset in terms of color of light, that is the nine to one, blue being one of these, one of two colors that have been found to actually heighten creativity. Uh, whereas that reddish amber tends to move us more into that left brain mode of thinking, that analytical thinking. So if you can tie your day to some degree either into the solar trajectory or into your just that's your natural chronotype, you would be best served by kind of allocating your work, because we all do both kinds of work, or most of us do both mm. kinds of work, to different times of day. And you can even track 
that sort of time management to over the course of the week. Whereas, but you know, by Friday, we're all like burnt out. Uh, you might want to leave your more analytical, administrative, maybe, you know, low creativity tasks to the end of the week uh, versus, say, front loading them towards the, to the beginning of the week. So that's kind of my, uh, that's my approach to the day. I'm going to be reorganizing my entire calendar now. Thank you. <laughs> You've done it. Thank you, Donald. <laughs> You're welcome. No charge. <laughs> <laughs> when you were running your business, you specialized in residential work? Is that, that is the bulk is of it? my work. I've also done some yeah. sort of what I call boutique resort development work, which are small-scale um, resort uh, projects, but certainly residential has been the core historically. So talk me through one of your projects. What happens? You're hired by a client. What's the process? How do you get started? Well, first of all, you have to pass muster with the client to be hired by said client, <laughs> which usually means, of course, interviews, discussions, showing work and so forth. But assuming there's a meeting of the minds, the first thing you want to do as an architect is to listen, to just hear from the client. What are you, what are you trying to do with this project? What do you want out of it? And really listen closely, not only to the sort of technical, well, I need a living room that's this big and I need three bedrooms. There's certainly that, and that's important. But to kind of hear between the lines, you know, what's the what's the goal? What's the vision? What, what makes you feel good? What makes you feel less good? Uh, and try to then put all of that into words, what we call a program statement. So it could be a two, three, four, five-page written document, which since regurgitates everything you've heard, but recasts it in a way that creates a roadmap for this project. And you show it to the client, you make sure you're all on the same wavelength, because you want to make sure, of course, before you get started, that you're thinking in the similar terms. And then it's a sort of steady building up of ideas. And this is where the creative process obviously comes into account. So the first meeting, you know, where you want to show your first ideas for what, uh, for what the structure could look like, you really come in with very small scale, rough sketches, right? Because you're running through a whole lot of ideas at once. This is called divergent thinking, by the way, in the literature of creativity, where your your brain diverges. You think of your mind as sort of bounded uh, by opening up into a sort of reverse funnel. You are diverging your mindset to where you're letting in as many ideas as possible come in. But at a certain point, you run out of time or your meetings in the week or your budget is out. You got to start going the other way. So you engage what's called convergent thinking, right, where the funnel goes back towards that narrow end because you got to throw out the ideas that didn't quite work or that don't make sense or can't be built or things like that. This is called the validation also or the verification phase. Right. So you can have all the ideas you want in the world, but that's easy. That's in a sense the easy part. It's picking out the ones and then making them work. That's just as difficult. Um, but one of the things that I've done in, in certainly in writing this book was to try to help us on the diversion end, because that's where we as adults tend to be least able. Because look, think about what happens in our adult lives. We grow up, we, we get families, we have businesses, we've got to get serious. Creativity, you know, to a certain degree is a risk taking endeavor, right? To go into a creative field certainly is. Um, so we tend to sort of play it safe because we don't want to end up homeless or without the means to support ourselves or our families. So creativity tends to get sort of suppressed and, and actually kind of goes to the back of mind. Um, so what we're trying to do is to help people kind of open up that divergent element, bring it back what we had as children, of course, when we're most creative. Anyway, so it's a series of meetings with a client where you're building up the scale, so to speak, the size. Instead of something that's, you know, a few inches square, now you start to see bigger and bigger drawings. You start to see what the house looks like or the structure looks like in elevation. And you continue to define and add information to documentation until you get to the point where you say, we want to build this. 
Then there's a whole next process where you're creating what are called working drawings, right? Those are documents that a builder can take and tell you how much is this going to cost? How long is it going to take to build? And here's my fee, you know, for doing so. And then, of course, there is the construction phase. So it tends to move through these same phases, design, construction documents, construction itself. Wow. That's uh, that's quite a run through. <laughs> In a nutshell. It usually In takes two years to actually do uh, now it just took me a couple of minutes <laughs> to describe. Yeah, you just squeezed two years into two minutes. Fantastic. Uh, you've mentioned your book. It sounds like a fascinating read. Tell me the name, when it's available, where it's available. How can people find it? Sure. So the book, the full title, it's quite a mouthful, grab a cup of tea if you want, um, <laughs> is My Creative Space, How to Design Your Home to Stimulate Ideas and Spark Innovation, comma, 48 science-based techniques. So I try to get a lot in there to explain what this book is about. Uh, And it is just that. It's literally 48 um, uh, techniques, tactics, as I call them in the book, running from color to materials to ceiling height to views and so on and so forth, each of which follows a similar pattern where I say, you know, what is it that you want to do? Why does it work? And how do you implement it in your space? And of course, you don't have to do all 48. Just one technique has been found to change people's creative performance. Anyway, the book is out. It's in both hardcover, very, uh, very filled with color images, hundreds of color images, in fact, but also in an ebook. And uh, it's pretty much anywhere you can, you know, typically find books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Google, uh, hopefully your local bookstore as well. Uh, your Barnes and Noble bricks and mortar store. I've seen it there. So you can find it pretty much anywhere you can uh, search for on the internet. So it's out there. Fantastic. And uh, where can people find you, Donald? Sure. If they want to look you up and uh, see what you're up to online. Sure. So there's first my website, donaldratner.com. And key thing here, Ratner is spelled in my case with two T's. Not all Ratners are, but I'm a two T person. Anyway, <laughs> you'll find lots of, you know, helpful, hopefully helpful things there. I have a resources page where I list lots of books about creativity, not just my own yeah. podcasts, such as yours, uh, uh, seminars, educational programs. There's a blog, all that kind of good stuff. And then, of course, I'm on the usual social media, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, I'll put those links in the show notes Wonderful. for you. Thank you. Uh, so people can find you very easily. But for now, Donald M. Ratner, thank you for joining me for a cuppa. Thank you, Gareth. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks again to Donald for his time. Shape your space using science. Get the most out of your creativity just by making the space you work in the most effective. I've been in my studio in the garden, uh, my shedio as I like to call it, for a, for a little while now. And I much prefer it to being indoors. Just mentally it feels better to leave the house to go to work. And there's something calming about being outside while I work as well. What's your creative space like? You can share photos on the social media using at ScreenlessPod or in the Creative Cuppa group on Facebook. Come and say hi. That's all for now then. If you enjoyed this episode, it's down to the Sound Boutique who produced it for Screenless and you can share your appreciation by sharing episodes. You can do that from your podcast app or giving a positive rating and review. Instructions on how to do that are at creativecuppa.uk And if you're feeling extra generous, you can donate something to the production of the show. And again, you'll find out how at creativecuppa.uk. Until next time then, have a great week and thanks for joining me for a cuppa. (laughs) 